0: Good morning. You guys ready to get in the Word this morning? Good. All right. It's, uh, it's something special that God's Word can draw us like it does, and that we come in here to gather, and those who are online, and those who will watch it later, and, and so on. The fact that we hunger for the Word of God, because I just tell you something this is the place in the entire world that you will find every time and with every word truth. And there are very few other places in the world where you'll find that. Very few. In fact, none that I know of. And so uh, we, we really honor the word of God here. You know, growing, it seems hard. It does seem hard to grow. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to get growing pains where my legs would hurt and stuff like that. Uh, you guys have probably had that, except for Kaylee, who... So. I had to do it, Kaylee. I had to do it. Um, it can be painful, right? (laughs) I'm sorry. That was, I repent. All right. All right. We, I love you, Kaylee. That's why I said it. Um, knew you could take it. Uh, no, listen, you have probably had growing pains. Growing can seem real painful. Uh, there's this interesting passage that you've probably heard of where Jesus talks about how he's the vine and we're the branches, right? And that we got to abide in him and, and, and in him is where we bear fruit. In him is where we get our nourishment. If the closer that our branch is attached to his vine, the more healthy we're going to be. Because that's the way branches and vines work, right? Branches outside the vine, they wither, they die, they're thrown in the fire. There's not much to, that's going to happen there. But branches that are just in the vine, especially a very healthy vine, and Jesus is a very healthy vine, they're doing, they're doing real good. They, they're the ones that get to grow. But they don't grow without it. Listen to what the Lord tells us directly in the scriptures. This is John 15, 1 through 2. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, I'm all for the first part. Like, I get it. Like, Jesus is the vine, and we're the branches, and like, hey, if we're not going to be fruitful, God's going to take that away. We're not, you know, we're not being fruitful. Uh, but the part where it says when we are fruitful, the reward is pruning. Uh, that part, that part's harder. It's more difficult. When we're in Christ and we're fruitful, the Father prunes us. He prunes us. I don't know if you've ever pruned a branch. Uh, I don't know if I have, or I wouldn't know what I was doing. I've cut stuff before, but um, it means you cut some of that branch away, right? You're cutting some of that branch away. Uh, My guess is to the branch, the process seems somewhat painful. That's my guess. If branches could talk, they would say, ouch. That's my guess. Um, I looked up pruning on the internet, because that's where you look stuff up. And I found a blog by Davy Tree Service. Like the name, Davey. The, uh, there's a blog post, they blog on the tree service website, cool. Uh, it's called, What is Pruning? The Importance, Benefits and Methods of Pruning. It's from September 12, 2018, and it sounded exciting uh, when I saw it. So, this is a blog about pruning trees, this is what it says. Um, it says, what is the definition of tree pruning? Pruning is when you selectively remove branches from a tree. The goal is to remove unwanted branches, improve the tree's structure, and direct new, healthy growth. So when God is talking about pruning, we don't do as much gardening as they probably did back then. We don't know as much about horticulture, except for those of you who sell weed or whatever's going on out there. I guess they got to learn it. There's a lot of that going on. I, look, I, whatever. Whatever. Um, it's not good. Don't do it. it makes you dumb. Um, kids, don't do it, okay? You can learn horticulture. Don't do it for that other reason. All right. It may seem, this sermon's going in a totally different direction. We're going to have to bring it back. Bring it back. Uh, it may seem like it's going to be painful that God's going to prune, but God prunes us to remove the parts of us that are unhealthy. He wouldn't prune it if it was healthy. And it says that he does prune it, meaning that even those of us who are fruitful in Christ through his power and his nourishment still have parts of us that are unhealthy that need to be pruned. And when he does that, we become more structurally sound, as the Davy Tree Service says, and we're stronger in him. Weak branches, diseased branches, branches that are unfruitful actually make you less sound. You don't, you're not as strong. You're not as structured. So he takes them away, right? Also, when he takes them away, it creates the opportunity for new growth that he can direct where he wants it to go. Pretty amazing stuff. I think some of us, though, we at least act like we kind of want to hold on to some of those parts, some of the stuff that probably should be pruned. We want to keep some of those scraggly little unfruitful parts, either because we're just used to them. It's just what we're used to. Or we're scared of the pruning for one reason or another. What will we do without that scraggly little thing hanging off of us, right? What will we do with it without it? But God knows that we need to be pruned, and He knows that the real pain doesn't come from the pruning. The real pain comes from keeping that scraggly little unfruitful branch. When we hang on to it, that's what causes pain. I don't know how many of you have had tough times. Where you're like, man, I just don't know why my life is not going the right way. And you've had a wiser person uh, come to you and be like, but are you doing all this stuff? And you're like, well, yeah. You're like, yeah, that's why the pain's there. Because we make bad decisions, because there are parts of us that are still unfruitful that need to be pruned away. God knows that the pain comes from the unhealthy parts, not from the pruning. I remember as a young man, knowing that I had an unfruitful part of me. Um, I used to when I at a certain age, uh, relatively young, I started partying. I started thinking that was, the, that was the thing to do. So I started doing a lot of drinking with the boys and, and hanging out, and uh, it started building up a very unfruitful growth in my life. And I remember getting to the point where drinking was such a normal part of my life uh, that I couldn't imagine what life would look like without it. Like, what would you do for fun? Like, how does anyone have fun if they're not getting drunk? Like, that's the way I thought about it. That was a lie that I had believed. Like, what would I do? What would would me and my friends do? There's nothing else to do. Um, And that's the lie you start to believe as you get unhealthy in an unhealthy part of your life. It had become normal for me to just get drunk regularly. That's what I did on the weekends or whatever. And when I felt that God wanted to prune that part of me, I thought it was going to be painful. I thought, oh, I have built up my life in such a way that this has become such a large part of what I do that if I lose it, it's going to be painful. Uh, I was wrong. God proved me and showed me the lie that I actually have way more fun than I ever did when I was drinking um, and no hangovers. So that's... Kind of a benefit. I'm healthier. My relationships are healthier. All of these things are, have, have occurred because God pruned something that at the time I thought, mm, I don't know that I want that pruned. And I hung on to it, even as the Lord was calling me to himself, much longer than I should have. But progressively as he prunes, he makes way for new growth. And I got to see new growth that God was doing in me. Now, for you, it might be this, it might be that. It could be any number of things. The way that you're treating people, the way you're thinking about things. Maybe it is some sort of sin in your life, whatever it is. When you let God prune it, regardless of the way you feel like, I can't give that up, that is when life really gets going. That's when you become more structurally sound. That's when new growth starts to be directed by God. The story of my life uh, has plenty of pruned branches in it. And Lord willing, plenty more branches will be pruned. Because I need a lot. I need a lot of it. You guys are doing real good. You you don't need as much, but I I need a lot. I need a lot of that. So uh, Paul, the apostle who wrote the letter to the Christians in Rome, that we've been studying, is a man who God completely changed. I think there was a lot of pruning going on with Paul. God had to come to him on the road to Damascus and blind him. And like, hey, Listen. You're going to do this. And it was like, all right, he got led by the hand. He got baptized. He came to know the Lord. And then over time, God taught him and pruned him and made him who he was. How do I know that he was pruned a lot? Because he was incredibly fruitful. Incredibly fruitful. And we don't become incredibly fruitful without submitting ourselves to God and letting him do a lot of pruning. A lot of pruning. He went from being a persecutor of Christians to being Jesus Christ's apostle to the Gentiles. That's a pretty big jump. That's going to take some pruning. That's going to take some fruitfulness. And Paul seemed to love being fruitful. He talks here in chapter 1 about wanting to have some fruit among the Christians in Rome. He was being nourished in the vine that is Christ. And he was able to bring the message of the good news of forgiveness in Christ Jesus to the whole world. That's how fruitful God made him. That's how much God was able to work through him. I mean, I'm awestruck and like honored and don't even know what to do with myself that I get to preach the gospel to a small number of people. It's beyond anything that I could ever have believed that God would do for me. And Paul was preaching to the whole world. Paul was able to do amazing, amazing things. And all I want for us is that we want the pruning and we want the growth and we want to abide in the vine God uh, used the Apostle Paul to plant churches all over the world in the big cities of the day. And the Holy Spirit of God inspired Paul to write a whole lot of the scripture. It's a lot of stuff in there that God used Paul to write for us. I look at the book of Romans and it is an absolute masterwork of the Holy Spirit. What an honor it must have been for Paul to be used by God in that way. And it's not like Paul wasn't a smart guy. Okay, uh, Chuck Messler says Paul was probably maybe the smartest man on the earth at that time. Educated both fully in Judaism, at the top, of the top of the ranks there, top by Gamaliel, the whole thing, but also educated fully in sort of the culture and the system of the world. He had both going on. Brilliant, brilliant man. And I, I don't care how brilliant, I don't care if he's the smartest man that ever lived, there is no way that the book of Romans, as we walk through it, you will see, could have been written by any man without the absolute inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible thing. It's fruitfulness that God did through Paul. Fruitfulness. He considered himself to be the chief of sinners, and yet he was given the grace of God to be so fruitful. That's what I want for us. I just want to be clear up front. What I want for you and what I want for me is continuing and ever-increasing fruitfulness in the midst of a broken and dying world. That's all I want. As we read the scriptures, as we read the scriptures today, as we read the scriptures each week, as we come in here, as you do so in life group, as you do so in your personal time in the Bible, I just want you to be thinking about what needs to be pruned, what needs to grow more, how do I abide more in Christ? Because if we do that, then we can actually be useful to other people as Paul was. Paul was useful to other people literally to this day. We're going to study what the Holy Spirit did fruitfully in Paul's life today. And so will lots of churches all over the world. But first, got to let God do the pruning. God is working on me as, without a doubt, he's working on you. Either, if you're listening to this online, you're here in the room, you listen to it later, there is one of a few things that's going on. Either you're about to turn it off or walk out because you're rejecting God, or God is drawing you, if you are not a Christ follower yet, to himself. That's what he's doing. It's not an accident that you're here. He's drawing you to himself to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life and believe that God raised him from the dead, his only begotten son. He's, he's looking to do that in your life. Or you're already in him. You're a branch in him. In that case, he's working on you to see you be fruitful, to prune you and to grow you and to direct the growth in your life. That's it. That's happening all the time. We need to be cognizant of it, aware of it, so that we can make sure that it's as effective as it can be. Now, we're studying the book of Romans. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you. I hope some of you brought your own Bibles today because I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of writing in there. Um, If you do not have a Bible at home, please take one of these that's in the seats in front of you. We want you to have the Word of God in your home. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. We want it in your home. We want it in your life. We want you to have the opportunity to read it and to grow in it. And if you'll do that and you'll ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, it will transform your life. Let me explain something to you about being a Christ follower. It is not transactional okay? It's not I do and then God will do for me and then I do and then God will do for me. That's religion. It's not transactional. It's transformational. It's God's work transforming you. He's the one doing the work. Willingness is all that you need. Some faith, some willingness. You're not giving to him and therefore he gives back. I do these good things and God tells me you're a good boy. You're not a good boy. That's why you need Jesus. The Bible is transformational. It will transform your life. All right. Let's pray as we open the scripture. Father, I just pray that you be with us as we read your word today. and that We're, we're going to just get into a couple verses here, Lord. And I just want you to use them for us to see far beyond just the normal, as we read stuff in the Bible, and we just kind of go through it. We try to get a lot of words read that we would just sit with what you're saying and recognize how powerful it is. Holy Spirit, you are so good in your teaching of us. I pray you would do that. Empower me to teach. Empower each one of us to learn from you today. In your name, amen. All right. All right. Let's get in the Word. Uh, Because we want to get pruned, right? We want it. It's a weird thing to ask for, but I want some pruning. Remove the unwanted branches, improve the tree structure, and directing that new healthy growth. As Davy Tree Service tells us, you didn't know they were pastors. Um, All right. Last week, you may remember, we did uh, verse 1 and then verses 5 through 7, and we were working through calling and and what God is saying about that, and we touched a couple other places, and then I talked about how we're going to do then 1 through 4 and 14 through 17. That's going to be a thing that we're going to talk about the gospel and what Paul's talking about the gospel, which is kind of central part of the book of Romans. Before we do that, we're going to start going through verses 7 through 13, and walk through sort of Paul uh, opening up this book to the Roman people. And so we're going to start in verse 1-7, just the first part of it there. And it says, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And we talked about this a little bit last week in terms of calling, what it means to be called to be saints, called to be holy, to have Christ's holiness, right? We talked about that. Douglas uh, Moo has a book called Encountering the Book of Romans, a Theological Study. And this is what he, he, he writes this, kind of a paraphrase and then a quote. He says, Paul does not address this letter as he does in other letters. Okay? The Apostle Paul here does not address it to the church at Rome, which he would do if he's talking to some of the other churches. He said the church at, and then he'd say that city. He doesn't do that. What this probably means is that there was more than one local church in the city of Rome. We we have good evidence to believe that there were a number of churches, house churches, generally speaking, in the city of Rome at this time. Now, we have that same thing going on. Here in Vancouver, we can go, literally, we are on like the Bible belt of Vancouver, right? 78th Street. It's like 5,000 churches. Praise God that there are so many believers, and they apparently all wanted to be in a very close proximity to each other. I didn't pick this spot, by the way, but it works out okay. Uh, People who can't find their way to New Heights sometimes will make their way over here, so it works out. Anyway, anyway, Um, like that, right? They had multiple churches, multiple house churches going on um, where they were, and he's writing to all the people who were set apart, who were made holy in Christ, who were the beloved of God, the Christians, the Christ followers in that town, okay? Just like if God was sending a letter to all the churches in the Portland metro area, we would be one of those churches, one of those people, and Paul's doing that. The the interesting thing to me about this is this is one of those proofs in my mind for the reliability of Scripture. Let me tell you why. There are so few things in this world, in this life, that two people can completely agree about, let alone two churches full of people. Okay, there's very little that we can agree about. I know that when you get on Facebook or watch the news, everyone's agreeing all the time and they're just like, they're hugging and it's super happy and everyone's just like, I love you, man. I know that's what, that's what, right? That's the opposite. People can't agree about anything, okay? And church people sometimes can be not great about that whole thing. Um, sometimes they're just zealous and sometimes they're just wrong. Uh, that's just happens if they're arguing with me, they're wrong. If I'm arguing with somebody else, I'm zealous. That's how that works. If you were wondering how it works, but one of the personal reliability of scripture is that we're still reading the book of Romans and all the churches in Rome, all the house churches and so on accepted it. And all the churches around the world accepted it. And they've accepted it for 2000 years, right? Do you know how easy it would be to cut the Bible up so they could say what I wanted it to say? To just be like, let's keep the book of Romans, or at least this part of it, but let's, I don't know about Ephesians and all that stuff going on, let's get rid of that, that makes it harder for that. You know how easy that would be to do, and yet it has not happened. Some people have done that. Thomas Jefferson cut his Bible up. Uh, Not good, not cool, Um, dead wrong, not a good way to do it. But that's actually extremely rare, and he wasn't a Christ follower, at least according to him, he was a deist. Uh, The fact is that the great majority of all believers for thousands of years have accepted the books of the Bible as inspired by the Holy Spirit. They've agreed about it. That by itself is a miracle. It is a miracle. Uh, there might be some friendly back and forth about you know, how, what Paul, what the Holy Spirit really means here about this or that, and then you get you know a denomination that pops up. And they're like, well, we, wanna, we like baptizing them when they're real little, and this one's like, well, we want to wait until they're a little bigger, and they're like, okay, you go over there. And then they do that. That's not great that we've done that. Um, But it is incredible that at the same time, we all still be like, yeah, but the book of Romans, that's from God. That's an incredible thing. And we may not see that. A lot of people sort of argue and worry about the reliability of Scripture. Can we trust it? This is one of those proofs. This is one of those proofs that we can trust it. That for all these years, in all these places, in all these countries, across all these languages, people have accepted this book that we're reading right now as A, no one argues that it was written by Paul. That's just uh, scholars, atheists, whoever. Paul wrote this. And among Christ followers, it is universally accepted that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. One of the ways you can tell that somebody's not a Christ follower, and you can start to see the unorthodox views that they have, is when they say things like, well, we're not sure that this is the Word of God. It's where it starts. Well, maybe some of it is. But, you know, Paul... He was a product of his time, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. If anyone was not a product of their time, it's Paul. The guy lived in the spirit. He was taught by Jesus Christ directly. If you believe in the scripture, that's, how, that's one of the ways we know. And it's one of the ways we know that scripture is true. Because it's still hanging around. We're still studying it today. You got to think about this. There are literally 100 theories probably about which Star Wars movies should really count as legitimate Star Wars movies, right? You can go into the, always the coolest people uh, who are talking about this, um, and, and, they're, and they're like, hey, I, you know, the prequels are blah, blah, which I agree, they're trash, that you, I'm not into that. Um, or, you know, we don't like the new ones, or we like this, or, or this isn't canon, which is a word we use for scripture to say which books are supposed to be, they use that word for Star Wars movies. Like, that's not canon, I'm like, dude, dude this is a silly movie about a green, you know, guy and like a puppet and like laser swords. Like you maybe shouldn't worry this much about it. Like there's other things to be concerned about, right? Um, but the fact is that you can't get Star Wars fans who all love Star Wars to agree about which movies are true. And somehow across all these continents and languages and denominations and thousands of years, Christ followers all agree that this book that we're studying right now is scripture. It's pretty incredible stuff. So Paul's writing here to all the Christians in Rome. And by the way, that is not the only (laughs) evidence that the scriptures are inspired by God. It's actually like totally a side one. It's not even one I usually bring up when I talk about the reliability of scripture. I just wanted to mention that because it's it's incredible as I think about it. Uh, The next part of the verse, grace and peace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we sort of read this kind of like, to whom it may concern, or like, this is just how Paul sort of opens his letters, you know, it, it, he does it a lot, he says, grace and peace to you, and we think of it like a greeting, like, hey, how's your mom and them, right, that's a southern thing, it's a Tennessee thing, one word, mom and them, and it means, how is your mom and them, and some people say that, it's just like how you start out the thing, hey, how you doing, how's your mom and them, that's not what's happening here, it's not a throwaway greeting, we got to look at it a little closer, okay, The grace and peace Paul writes about, it's not Paul saying, hey, grace and peace from me. Who is this coming from? What does it say? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is inspiring this, okay? God is saying grace and peace to you, Christ. We just said who they are, the Christ followers. Grace and peace to you from God. This is actually a pretty incredible thing. If you have Left hand, and you have your own Bible, or you're taking one of these with you, I would circle the word or underline whatever the word from in that sentence right there. From God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So you know who this greeting is coming from. It's not just Paul here. God is the one who gives us grace and peace. That's who they're from. God himself. It's his grace and his peace that are to you. And that's a big deal. That's not just a throwaway. Okay? This is what God has for you. If you are saved, redeemed, the saints, those who have been made holy in him, you have grace, which is unearned favor. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. The blessings of God that are given to you are not given to you because you earned it. They're given to you because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And then peace. And oh, if there's a word that I want. In my life, if there's a word that I want to think about and live in and marinate in, it's peace, shalom, wholeness, harmony, right? Not a lot of peace in the world, right? But Jesus tells us, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, okay? Not of the world. The world doesn't have peace. Again, go back to your Facebook feed or your Fox News or your MSNBC or whatever all this, these angry, red-faced, yelling people are, right? They don't have peace, Right? I look and I was, I'm looking through the news thing the other day, which is a terrible idea. Uh, you know, Putin is going to go into Ukraine, and Biden's saying, "Don't do it, or we're going to be mad." And you know, there's all this stuff going on. Right? This, there's trucks, and they're blocking stuff. I don't know what's all going. On. I don't care about all that stuff. I care about Jesus. So I'm not getting real worried about that. But there, but the world does not have peace. The world does not have peace. And yet God's saying, "No, no. I'm giving you my peace from me to you." You can sit here and say, I have wholeness, I have peace, I don't need to be afraid of enemies, I don't need to be afraid of anything, God's going to work all things together for good, I have peace, there's harmony in my life, I can have joy, all this can be going on and I can go, I have peace. Well, where'd you get it from? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I got it. It's pretty amazing stuff. It's what you get when you're saved, yeah, amen. Amen. Now, I want you to take your pencil out or your pen and circle another word from. Right here in the same chapter in verse 18, it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Circle that. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, if you'll underline and circle the word from in that verse and the word from in verse 7 and draw a line to the two. This is an important thing to make the connection here in this chapter because there's two things going on here. In verse 7, we're hearing this to the believer. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God and called to be saints. That's you if you're a Christ follower. That's to you because you're a Christ follower. We're told the believer receives grace and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. But in verse 18, we're told something different. We're told about the unbeliever, the unholy, those who are not abiding in God's love. And we find out what those people receive from God. We receive grace and peace from God. What do they receive from God? Wrath. Wrath. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness. That's where it's from. It's from God, from heaven. That's where they're receiving it. So there's one group of people who are receiving grace and peace and another group of people who are receiving wrath. If you don't know what wrath is, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, highly recommended. <laughs> okay? It's not. Khan, it's a great movie, but Canon. Anyway, uh, it's a great move. It's a great move. In any case, wrath. That's God's judgment. That's God's righteous judgment. You ever, you ever had something happen to somebody you know, or maybe just seen something on the news or something like that, and somebody has harmed, say, a child, and that feeling that you have where it's just like, that person deserves wrath. You think God doesn't feel that? You think God who created you and loves you and you're his children isn't upset when you are harmed? Do you think God who created these other people and loves them isn't upset when you've harmed them? Wrath is coming for the ungodly. We got to compare and contrast here. The word from is there twice, two things that are coming from God: one to the believer, one to the unbeliever. What does a believer receive? What does a non-believer receive? So much of what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us in the scriptures is the difference between the two roads. These two paths, these two spiritual states of being. I don't know, if you've been here for a while, you walk through the Sermon on the Mount with us, that's in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, feel free to read that, where Jesus is just showing us over and over these two paths. There's the narrow path, right? There's the path that goes with Jesus. And then there's this wide path. This easy path, the unrighteous path. And he talks about what's going to happen to people on both those paths. Then we, we walk through the Psalms, the first five uh, Psalms. And right there in Psalm 1, out of the gate when the Psalms start, we talk about the paths. The righteous, this is what it looks like. Not the unrighteous. They're like chaff that the wind blows away, right? We go through this and we see these two paths. When we walk through the, the series we just recently did about our identity, we saw the difference between identity in Christ and identity in self and Satan and the world and death. Two paths. So we see it here in the scripture over and over and over again. God is very clear. Please understand this for yourself and for those who God's called you to minister to. There are two paths. Not three, not four, not five, not six. Two paths. There's no karma. That's not a thing. Karma, at best, is the idea that when I do dumb things, bad things happen. When I do good things, good things tend to happen, right? That's not karma. That's the way God designed you. When you operate according to design, things happen that are good. When you don't, things happen that are bad. Unfortunately, because of the sinful and broken world, sometimes bad things happen even when you do operate according to design. And fortunately, because of the grace of God that, he, that the Son on the the just and the unjust, sometimes good things happen to you even when you have done things that are bad. Karma is nonsense, okay? It's nonsense. There's no karma. No such thing as being spiritual but not religious. That's not a thing. That's just you doing whatever you want to do, okay? That's not a thing. There's no my truth and your truth. There's just the truth, okay? No, there's no such thing as all roads lead to heaven. There's one road. There's no such thing as I'm a good person, so I'll be fine. You're not a good person, There's no eternal unconsciousness. I'm just going to take the dirt nap and that's it. I'll have to think about it again. You wish if that's where you are in your life. Nope. You're an eternal person. You should know that. You should feel it literally inside. You were not made to die. Death. When when I talked about death earlier today and we go, ah, why is that? If it was such a normal, natural thing, we'd be like, yeah, of course. We live, we die, you know, circle of life, you know, the whole thing, right? And it moves. All right, that's a good song. Look, that's not true. You were made to be eternal. You were made to be eternal, and there's two paths. There's no nirvana. There's no reincarnation. That's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. There is no other way. There is no God but one. Our Lord God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's it. There is no way. There is no truth. There is no life but in Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. And by the way, just think about how crazy this is. If somebody came out and said this, and you would be like, medication time. Think about that, okay? (laughs) Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If I go to Portland by the bus stop, there's a guy or a lady saying that, my response is, oh, bless their heart. They need some medication, right? And nobody thought that when Jesus said that. They were like, clearly he's not crazy. He believes this, and he's really sane, righteous even. It's true, folks. It's true. There are people who want it to be a hundred different ways. There are people who want to uh, tell God how he needs to be because that's how they think he needs to be. Well, really, you should you know, maybe let these other people have this other way. No, there is only one way, and God's only provided it. In order to have that way through Jesus Christ, he had to pay a lot. Everything. Coming down from heaven, becoming a man. Going through all the pain and suffering. You think you've been through pain and suffering? He suffered all of it. Just like us. So he could empathize with us. And died and he rose again. And that's it. There isn't another way. No one else has done that. Nor could they. It's Jesus Those who are beloved of God and made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ receive from God grace and peace. And those who are unrighteous and suppress, push away, push down the truth in unrighteousness, because they don't want to hear it. They receive from God wrath. That's reality. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher, but that doesn't mean that there's not hellfire and brimstone. That's a real deal. So, a reason why we do what we do here. Say in a PTA meeting, we're talking about people who are going to hell. And we need to save. We need to see God save them. It's because they reject the grace and peace that God freely offers them. He's freely offering it to them. Chapter 3, this is worked out more fully. Understanding that those who refuse to receive the free gift of grace of God... They have put themselves by that under the law. And we'll get in, you know, Lord willing, as we get into that, we're going to get into what that means. But being under the law is not a good thing because no one can keep the law. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We can't keep the law. This is what it says, Romans 3, 20 through 26. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight. You are not getting to God because you have kept the law, because you haven't. Straight up, I know y'all you haven't, okay? And nobody has. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteous of God, righteous who have been made righteous by God, apart from the law is being, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That's the Bible, okay? It's witnessed by the Bible from the beginning. The thing that told us about the law is the thing that shows us that we can't be saved by the law even in the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me. It says all, that's what it means. That's what the Greek means, all. Being justified freely. You can't justify yourself. God has justified you freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. In other words, he was a sacrifice that paid for us because we messed up and the wages of our sin were death. And so he paid for us through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Praise God to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Those to whom the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write here, that's you and me, Christ followers. We're not receiving grace and peace because we're good. It's not why we're getting it. We're receiving grace and peace because we're saved by God. We're not receiving grace and peace because we deserve grace and peace. That would not make sense. Grace is there for those who don't deserve it. We're receiving grace because we deserve the same wrath that he talks about in verse 18. You and I deserve that because that's the life that we've lived. We've suppressed the truth in our righteousness. We've done what's evil. We've done what's wicked. We've hurt people, his children. We've rejected him and then he came and he saved us through his blood Jesus paid for our sin on the cross and rose from the grave, rose from the dead. Fundamentally, the Holy Spirit is telling us something astonishing in this little phrase that sounds like, hey, how are you doing? Just kind of something we just pass over as we read through it. The grace and peace are ours from God. It's an amazing thing. We should be walking around with a smile that lights up the world. When we realize that we have grace and peace from God. Are we waking up and just like, I have grace and peace. I can live in that today from God. Because if you did, you'd be like... (laughs) It's pretty exciting stuff. It's pretty exciting stuff. On one hand, we should feel like that way. And on the other hand, we should be crying out to the world about the grace and peace of God that they can have freely by His grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because they can't wake up and smile, they can't fool themselves. They can tell themselves all kinds of things. They can they can confuse themselves on purpose. They can suppress the truth and are righteous. But at the end of the day, it's for them that wrath is being revealed, the same as it was for us. And it's for them that grace can be there, the same as it has been for us. We got to take we got to take this seriously. You know, I, I feel like church has become too too much of it has become something we go to. You know, I guess because there's I guess you call this a stage. It's like this high, uh, but you know because there's like a stage and we like there's like a production or something. We think okay, we go to that and we sort of watch that and we sort of take part in that. That is not what church is. That's not what it is. What we're talking about here, we're studying the word together. Yes, God has called me in the role to be the one to do the research and read the Davy Tree blog and whatever so that we can, we can talk about it. But the whole point is to equip you to go and bring the good news of Jesus Christ that grace and peace can be brought to the world. That's for you. You're not coming to something. Like, I don't know, we got to sit in a circle so that you don't think that way. This is you. You are his body. It's your job. It's your job to go to the people who are in your life. I don't know the people in your life. I don't, know, I don't know who's in your circle, but some of them are going to hell. And why do you think God's put them in your circle? Because He wants to prune some stuff and grow some stuff that you might be fruitful, that you might have fruit among those who are in your life. And I want to see it happen. I sit here and I see why are there empty seats in this room? I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who's given me grace and peace. And people are, I don't know, making, you know, meatballs for the Super Bowl. Yay, sports. There you go. But you're here. So make the meatballs later. Let's celebrate Jesus Christ now. Like, listen, we got it. We got to get it. We got to get it. What is your priority in life? What is your priority in life? Is it about the one who gave you grace and peace or something else? If it's something else, get your priorities right. And I'm, speaking, I'm preaching to myself. Like, are we focused where we need to be focused? This little phrase that's just a greeting and the power of God is just exploding out of it. Gosh, the scripture is so good. Let's read the next verse. It's gonna get even better. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Y'all, he's from the South. You can tell, Chuck Messler says that. He's clearly from the South. Uh, for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Again, there's a lot that's happening right here. Their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world? Wow, that's pretty good. Let me tell you a couple of reasons why. One, God has been faithful to them in the midst of an evil and broken city. Rome, real bad, jacked up. I'm not gonna tell you about what they did there because not only are there younger people in here, I don't think any of us wanna hear. You don't want it in your brain. What was going on regularly normatively, as part of what they did in the city of Rome. And here are these Christ followers sitting in the midst of that. So they're in the midst of that, and God's giving them grace and peace and mercy and building their faith in the midst of that. This is the center of the Roman Empire. And because they're upstream, this is the second reason, upstream meaning that they're the ones who are exporting culture to the world, because that's where they are. People are aware of them and their faith, actually looking to them and seeing what it looks like. Now, this is incredibly important for you because God has put you in a particular place at a particular time with particular responsibilities. You all are upstream. But what's upstream? Like, what's, what's the analog? Listen, the biggest cities in the world and the biggest and richest and most powerful countries in the world. Rome, Rome was the center of political power, of military power, of all that kind of stuff. You know, wealthy. People are looking at it. You live in the United States of America. I don't know if you know this, but the rest of the world looks at us. Because not only are we wealthy and powerful as the world looks at those things, but we export a lot of culture. We're busy, like, messing the whole world up about what they believe, about morality and all kinds of stuff. But we're also busy exporting the gospel. While they do that, we do this. While those who suppress the truth and are righteous do that, we bring the grace and peace that's from God. That's what we do. But because of that, people are looking at you. People are looking at you. Portland, interestingly, is not the biggest city in the country, not even close, and it's one of the more influential ones. Everybody knows about Portland. They all think it's on fire all the time. Like, that's their thing. Like, how do you, is it just like a war zone? Like, no. That's a bunch of hippies. Like, it's not even a thing. Like, there's people on unicycles with a Darth Vader mask. There's. I heard today about a motorcycle gang that rides around on mopeds. You know, like, what's that? That's Portland, right? Like, dude, don't get in a fight with the other motorcycle gang. That's... <laughs> but they don't come to Portland because they're like, I don't want to, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, you live in a place that people are looking to. It's upstream, Okay. The the Christ followers in Rome, no doubt, faced real difficulties, real challenges, and real trouble, real persecution, all of that. You will too, okay? You want to be a serious Christ follower, the kind I'm talking about right now, you think you're going to walk around in the Portland metro and not have people go, weirdo. Some of you are like, they already say that. I might as well be a Christ follower too, right? Um, But they are. You're going to be rejected. There's going to be some level of persecution because of it. But you know what? People are looking to see what you do with that. If you, were, if you lived in Bumble Stink, South Dakota, okay, some, there's, that's not a real place, I made that up, that's not a thing, but you live somewhere in a town of like 14 people, probably people aren't really looking at you, not from the outside, like your family would still be looking at you and whatever, and there's nothing wrong with living in South Dakota, I've been there, it's not a lot of people there, it's like four people there, but anyway, there's nothing wrong with it, okay, but you're probably not going to have the same kind of influence, you know what you have? You have influence. There are, people all, there are people who come online and watch our stuff and whatever. They want to know what we're like. Because we live in the midst of what they see as a decadent and broken place. And they want to know, how are they handling it? What does their faith look like? Well, the Roman Christians, they were known throughout the whole world for their faith. The whole world. They would have had to be pretty strong in their faith. And that comes as a gift from God. Living righteously in the middle of the unrighteous. This should be your motto. I want to live righteously in the middle of the unrighteous. Because I'll just tell you, you're in the middle of the unrighteous. You are. This is a broken place. Those of you who are still holding on to some idea that like we're, this is a Christian area or something. I don't know where you've been for the last like 40 years. It's gone downhill and now it's like, 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 it's speeding downhill. Is there something? Let me see if I can fix this so it doesn't keep popping. They're speeding downhill. Okay, That's what these Roman Christians were dealing with. A, a, an empire that was just degrading. Just degrading in front of them. In the middle of that, they're loving their neighbors. They're loving their enemies. You know, here's another thing, Christ follower. When you're on Facebook, talking to somebody at work, wherever it is. The way you talk about people who you consider to be your enemies is being looked at. They, look, one of the things people know is that Jesus said, love your enemies. You say, I'm a Christ follower. And those sons of guns that are doing, you fill in the blank. I'm not going to get into all the politics that y'all argue about. That son of a gun or those people, that, those kinds of words, they take a toll on your witness. I just want you to understand that. Just so you know, when you when you turn people into them, the other people, my enemies, and instead of saying, "Man, I love them," "Man, I pray for them," "Man, how can I serve them," "Man, how can I bring the gospel to them," because whatever they think isn't any worse than what you thought before God saved you. When you act like that, they go, "Wow, that's crazy," because it's upside down. Because everybody else is saying, "My enemies over there," and blah blah blah. They're all like that. But then when you're like that too, they go, "Oh, you're not any different than me." Well, the Roman Christians were different. They were in the middle of an unloving, vicious, violent, sexually immoral, every kind of immoral culture, and they were living completely differently, called out, separate. And yet, in in the city, with people loving them, loving them. They were helping the poor, they were treating women and children and oppressed people with value and honor and care. And it was blowing people's minds. And their faith was heard about throughout the whole world, set apart in the midst of a vicious, ugly, morally people. And people noticed. And you know why they noticed? Because they're looking. And you know what they're going to notice about you? Whatever it is that we're doing, because they are looking. They're going to know about what the believers in the Portland area are like, because most people in the country see Portland and the metro area as one of the more decadent places in this country. They want to know what you all are doing in the midst of that. Some of us, some people are running. You've seen some of this. I'm going to, I don't know, Texas, Florida, Idaho, wherever. Like they're like, I'm out of here. It's too much. I'm gone. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, okay. That seems like the opposite of what we want to do. I want to fill this place with believers, not start running away. Paul wants to get to Rome. He's going into the midst of all these places to bring the gospel. Listen, one of the things that you're going to be tempted to do as a Christ follower is to to fly, is to run, is to isolate when you're supposed to be, as one pastor says, you're not supposed to isolate, you're supposed to infiltrate. Consider it joy that you face these trials So we read in the book of James and consider it an honor that you get to be in a place where your Christ following really does get to look different. So that people might look at you and be drawn to the Lord. It's an amazing gift that we have. And we're here in the fight because it's his fight and he's already won. Like I said earlier in the prayer, this pastor says, hey, who cares what the score is in the third quarter when we know we win the game? Decisively so, by the way. Read the end of this. It's pretty good. People are going to look upstream to you guys. They're going to notice how you walk amongst the powerful of the world, the seemingly powerful. They're going to look at how you live. They're looking at me. They're looking at you. We are the Christ followers in the United States of America. When we go to Honduras, by virtue of the fact that we are the Christ followers in the United States of America, they are looking at you, they're watching you. They want to see how you live. We're upstream to much of the world, to much of the world, just like these Christ followers were. And we can be like them and be known throughout the world for our faith. We can be those people. If we'll let the pruning happen, if we'll let the growth happen, if we'll be excited about the grace and peace that's from, that's from God that we have, if we'll talk about it, if we'll live it out, we can be known throughout the world for our faith. People can be like, there is a movement in the Northwest of the United States of America of Christ followers that are just literally making it happen. There's a lot of people who want to make, make this change politically. Like, they want to get in there, and they want to change the laws, and they want to change the way we do things, and they want to kind of make people act more morally. And I get that. Like, I'm all for people acting more morally. But one of the things that we miss when we do that is that you cannot take people who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and simply legalize them into morality and expect that that's made a change. It's not the way it works. You might notice that the book of Romans, written to the Romans, right? Like when Nero was there, there's nothing in here about a political agenda. Hey, this is what we need to do. We We need to get folks in powerful positions, change the laws, change the way we do things so that people will start acting morally and then we can bring the gospel in. It's not a thing. But they did change the world. You know why? Because they lived differently. Now, I'm not saying don't care about voting and all the rest of that. You have an obligation to do that as a citizen. But man, I see Christians getting real worked up about trying to change and force laws that are more moral on people. And while I'm all for moral laws, I'm I'm an attorney. Trust me. I'm all for it. As long as it doesn't get in the way of me making money. No, I'm kidding. Okay, okay. I'm all for moral laws, but I know that moral laws don't change hearts. Jesus does. And so if we're going to be spending our time on something, how about on Jesus? That's the thing that will change. That's the thing that changed. They changed the whole world. You know that? Over the next few hundred years, we literally see the entire world changed. Not because they were politically smart and and politically powerful and whatever. It's because the rest of the world and the powerful came to understand the power of Jesus Christ. And to this day, we are still living and enjoying the fruits that God did through those who are willing to be pruned and willing to have faith. It's an amazing thing. It's 11.23, so I'm going to wrap up here. Can I just encourage you? I want to thank you once again that you made it here physically to gather. Because I can tell you that in the battle that we have in front of us, which we've already won, we need each other. We're a shield wall. I need to see you. You need to see the person sitting next to you. Some of you might even need to see me. We need to be a team, guys. Gathering, gathering. That's what we got to do as relationships break down. In this world, we got to be the ones that are showing what a relationship looks like. So thank you for being here. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, you're on that other road, guys. If you don't know Jesus, you're on that other road. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against your own righteousness and your ungodliness. That's the way it is. If you do know Jesus, you have grace and peace, not because you're good, but because he's good. And because he's given you his righteousness. Please don't walk out of this place or flip off the thing online, or if you're watching it, wherever you're listening to it on your podcast, whatever it is, please don't walk away and not think seriously about that if you're not a Christ follower. If you want to be a Christ follower, today's the day for that. Right back there in the prayer room, we'll give you a chance to do that. If you are a Christ follower, please don't forget about what we talked about in terms of being branches in the vine, in terms of being pruned, and in terms of growing, because if we want to be known throughout the world for our faith, we better start growing. And I mean really, really growing. And here's the really good news. God's the one who does it all. Just let him do it. When he says, I need to cut that, I need to prune that off, say, do it. Do it. It's going to hurt me a lot more to have it than to not have it. Let's, in the end of the age here, let's be a powerful, powerful, powerful force, fruitful force for Jesus Christ. Paul was able to do it as the Roman Empire is becoming more and more decadent and we are in the same place as the world becomes more and more decadent. We can can shine in Christ. Let's pray.